This is the Gate Charlotte Podcast. You're listening to a message by Pastor John Matthews. All right, you ready? Sure, I'll turn this off. It's been nice having, we're meeting more people that have been coming in that said, you know, we watched your stream online and, and we came and joined you. Um, I'm just curious, it just helps me to know, how many of you, before you came and joined us, you, maybe you watched us online first? Raise your hand. Awesome, awesome. So encouraging, so encouraging to know where so many people through, how many know that the disciples would have loved the, the worldwide internet? <laughs> Man, they would have loved that. I mean, we have people reaching out to us that are saying, we're watching from Italy, we're watching from England, we're watching from New Zealand, we're watching from Germany, we're watching from all Norway, um, all these different places. It's, wow, it's amazing. So it's such a treat. Well, this morning, I, I've got a message that's pretty, pretty strong on my heart, and it's going to take me a few minutes. I'm going to just tell you that now. I'm, I'm not even going to act like it's going to be quick. I'm just being honest with you this morning, but um, I want you to hang with me because it's probably, if, if, if we can deliver it the way my heart's carrying it, I feel like it's probably one of the most important messages I'll preach. And I don't say that often, I really don't, I'm not a hype guy, but one of the things that the Lord, uh, if you know Tiffany and I, and many of you are new, you don't really know, my wife, by the way, was the one leading worship right here in the middle, and uh, right here on the front, and uh, we lead this church together. I don't lead, and she's not like my, my sidekick, you know. So <laughs> we lead together. And um, one of the things about us is that we have a heart for restoration. Um, God bless you. <laughs> we, we're not scared of messes. We're not scared of people's. We're not scared of people's messes. We're not scared of the things they've done. Um, matter of fact, it, it just runs in our DNA. Even beyond people, I mean, we would never. It's funny. We would never even buy a house that's ready to move in because where's the fun? We just want to like rip it apart and make it restored. Some of you are like, no thanks. <laughs> it's okay. That's just who we are. We love. We love walking through. When we were looking for a home, we love walking through homes and we love looking at a mess and saying, I can see the potential in this. And that's kind of how often it is when you pastor. Honestly, people have messes. I know you don't, but other people have messes. <clears throat> And sometimes you look at the mess so long, you lose track of where the Lord's taking you. And sometimes you give up on it. And we get in this supernatural culture where I think that if we're not careful, we can almost begin to just say that everything can be fixed with, um, how do I say this the right way? Some things take intentional effort, that it's things that you're going to have to do to get healthy spiritually, physically, and emotionally.
I want to see people that are powerful people, and Tiffany talked about this a couple weeks ago, that people that not only can they lay hands on the sick and see them healed, but people that demonstrate the kingdom through their marriages. They demonstrate, how, I, I'm, I'm going to be doing a wedding here within a month, and I was talking to the couple, I said, you realize one of the greatest manifestations that we have the opportunity of carrying on earth, the greatest manifestation of the kingdom can be our marriage. Why else would he say the bride and the groom? I mean, he, he set the standards. And I'm not trying to beat you up if you've had a challenging marriage because this all this morning is about redemption and restoration and seeing God restore. So don't check out on me if you've been there because this is for you, okay? So don't give up on me. But one of the greatest manifestations that we can show the world of the Father's love is a healthy marriage. But then we can believe that, well, what it's really about is if I can raise the dead. I love what Paul said, and I say this all the time. Remember when Paul said, he said, guys, you really need to get past the, the, the basics, like raising the dead. <laughs> I'm sure somebody would just come up, I mean, just preach that. All right, guys, we really need to get past raising the dead. We should have got that like, like week one, raising the dead, healing, all that, week one. Let's get to the real stuff. What was he talking about? Well, Paul was the one that was always talking about being a healthy body. He was always talking about, the, you know, one's an ear, you know, one's an eye. He was always talking about health. He was always talking about, he was, the, he was the guy that when you read through stuff like Ephesians and he's talking about who you are in Christ, he was trying to get it across, say it's not like there's this, well, just, you know, here's your relationships. Don't worry about those. Just go raise the dead. It's the complete opposite. He was saying, you know, you should get this thing with raising the dead and getting saved and all that. That's, that's, let's get that figured out. But let's talk about actually who you are. The same guy that said you're not a mere human. You're more than that. And I feel like one of the things that Tiffany and I get to do a, a lot is we do get to walk with a lot of people through uh, messes. And sometimes you come into them, they're big messes. But you know what, is that you always walk into it knowing that he's so much bigger. It doesn't scare you when you know that he's the one that's so much greater than the circumstances that you're in. He's the one that we're really looking at. But there's a process to restoration. There's a process to reconciliation. There's a process to healing. And that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning because I think that we need to grab onto this because... The idea of restoration, it takes a lot of tools. When I, when I have issues with my house, when I have some, I'm, I'm the guy that like kind of looks for a reason to buy a tool, I have to be honest with you. Like, I'm like, babe, I could buy a tool for that. She's like, you have like 12 friends that own that tool. I'm like, well, yeah, but I want to borrow it. Uh, and so, <laughs> right? True story. Calm down, calm down. <laughs> and, and, um, but there's been certain scenarios where there's certain things that you need certain tools, and you can try all day to hack your way through it with the wrong tool, and maybe you can get through it. But it hurts getting through it with the wrong tool. When, you're, you, know, when you could get the right tool, it's like, man, that would have been easy. I can make it work with this tool. And what's happened is, is I feel like the church carries a lot of tools that often they could probably get through it, but you're going to come out and your hands are going to really be hurting. And things are going to be hurting that maybe you could have got around if you just had the right tool. 
and I feel like the concepts don't change, but he gives us the, the, the purpose of statements like going from glory to glory the, the, or, or truths about the renewing of your mind is that he's trying to say something that we're always on a journey to become, um, we're always on a journey to be growing. We're always on a journey to be developing. We're always on a journey to get better tools. When we stop and say, well, I've got a tool for that I don't need anymore. Somebody could have done that with the manual screwdriver. And then I could walk up and... (laughs) You can go all day like that. I would prefer to use this. Why? Because there's been advancement. We've been advancing the kingdom. And there's certain tools that God is... He's always giving us sometimes new. Sometimes he's sharpening. And what I'm going to talk to you about this morning is probably not, I can assure you it's not anything that no one's ever heard the topic of, because what I'm really going to talk to you about this morning is forgiveness. But my heart is to see healthy people, because I believe that if we're healthy, we can advance the kingdom efficiently and quicker than, and, 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 and at the same time not have the rug yanked out from underneath us, and we can just keep going. And there's a lot of different ideas of what these tools look like, but I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about the tools that he's got on my heart this morning. And, and here's the thing. Uh, often messes scare people. It's, it's almost funny because the church loves the idea of restoring broken sinners, but it's scared to death of broken believers. It's bad, it's, it, we should never be treating people that are our brothers and sisters in Christ less than we are people that aren't yet. And it's almost as like, well, you're a broken drug addict slash alcoholic, and you're a hot mess. Jesus can save you. But the same guy that comes in that's been sitting next to you for five years that's having struggles, all of a sudden, well, I knew something was going on. And we have a greater compassion for the lost than for our brothers and sisters. And what happens is, is we become very inefficient at restoring believers because we're scared of it. We're scared of the process. We're scared of what it looks like. And it's not always easy, but the greatest tool that we're going to have, and the one I'm going to talk to you about this morning, is just the foundation of restoration, and it's forgiveness. Things happen in life. Sometimes we're going along life and we hit small potholes. Sometimes we hit huge potholes. Sometimes you hit a wall and you didn't even see it there. We hit these things in life. And in that moment that we hit these, these, these potholes, we can almost always find ourselves, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves almost spiritually in shock that this just happened. And it can paralyze us. I'm not only talking about you. I'm talking, see, this is two-sided this morning. This is about me, and this is how I handle my brother or sister next to me. In that moment, whether it be you or whether it be someone around you, that something's happened. They hit a big pothole. Their wheel flew off. Their family's falling apart. In that moment, the spirit realm around you begins to go crazy. 
because it immediately begins to go into a battle for your heart. And we're faced with two choices. One is that we can pull away from love and then we can welcome fear in its place. Or two, we can push into love and perfect love cast out all fear. I can't fix you. Perfect love can fix you. I just bring it with me. And and the reality is this, uh, shame, anxiety, anger, these feelings are options. (laughs) I know I'm going to put a lot of responsibility on you this morning. It is options, though. Feelings are options. I was listening to a sermon recently by, I said this in prayer this morning, I was listening to a sermon by who I think is probably one of the most entertaining preachers on the face of the earth, Joseph Garlington. He sings his whole sermon. He's got a guy that plays the whole thing. and It's, it's, so, it's just so cool. But he made this remark. He said, you know, me and my wife have just picked up this thing we do in life. He said, you know, if it's something we're going to laugh about down the road, why don't we just laugh about it now? He said, you know, people will even say, we're going to laugh about this one day, but they've chosen a different emotion in the moment and said, I don't want to lean into joy yet. I want to hang on to fear and anxiety, and maybe somewhere down the road I'll let go of this and I'll step into joy. If it's something you can laugh about down the road, how about we try to get there now? And so what happens is, is, is shame and anxiety, anger, bitterness, all these different feelings they become presented to us when we hit that pothole, and we get to choose what do we want to grab onto. And, and I want you to kind of look at it this way. I, let's, let's try to break this down, give you an analogy. Certain spirits, they almost wait around in life at like a bus stop. For you to pull over your bus, your life, and pick them up. They're waiting for you. And they come on board through your decisions. They can't forcefully. I want to I clear some things up this morning. They, you, greater is he that is in you. Amen. We believe that, right? Than he that is in the world. So that, which means that they can't forcefully come on to you. You've got to understand this. Because if you're going to take responsibility for it, we're going to become powerful people. We have to understand that we're the ones that pull over and let them on. But we're the same ones that can pull over and kick them off. I don't drive your bus. You drive your bus. I drive my bus. And I get to pull over and say, you need to get off. I don't need fear riding along with me. You see, it's our decisions that pick them up. Or we can keep going. And I want to... I I'm going to give you some scripture references this morning. I can't possibly read it all or we'll be here till dinner. So I'll give you some references. We'll read a couple of them. But I want to just give you a few references of some powerful stories about this. The first one is about somebody that I don't think I've ever preached on before. His name's Absalom. Aren't you glad we don't use those names anymore? <laughs> But his name actually means my father is peace. 
Absalom was the third son of King David. And Absalom has this journey that we get to see in the Bible that I want to read through here in a minute, that he has these number of, there's some life events that happened that were pretty big potholes in his life. Some of them he just, he kind of went right into. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Samuel chapter 13. But while you're flipping there, 2 Samuel chapter 13, I want you to understand that Absalom, I believe, that was destined for a life of peace. I believe that the Lord had amazing plans for his life, and, and what happened is, is he, he ran into some interesting situations. So let's start off in 2 Samuel chapter 13, uh, and let's, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but I want, I want you to see the story of what he goes through. It says, in the course of time, Amnon, the son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Pause. A little weird, but it was his sister too. And Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill and she was a virgin. It seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of all these other people. And he asked Amnon, why do you think the king's son Look, so Haggard, morning after morning, won't you tell me? And Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill. I'm going to pause because I'm not going to go through all of this because it's a really long passage. But what happens is, is that throughout the course of this scripture, Amnon tricks Tamar into coming into his bedroom and he rapes her. Absalom's sister, daughter of King David. It's a pretty big deal. If you read on, verse 20, her brother Absalom said to her, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother, don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. So when King David heard of all this, he was furious. Stop there. Let me, let me fill in the, the gaps a little bit. Absalom was pretty upset. He knew what happened. He took it to King David. King David was furious, but King David did nothing. If you read through it, he didn't do anything... For the situation. So here's Absalom. And out of anger and rage, he goes on and he actually hires a servant to murder Amnon. You think your family has issues. <laughs> it's pretty bad stuff. And so he becomes filled with rage. He's very upset. King David was furious but did nothing. And so he decides to take this thing into his own hands. He hires out someone else who was a servant. says, murder him. So he murders him because he raped his sister. I want you to begin to recognize something. What can happen when bitterness begins to come in is that bitterness will occupy your life. And when it comes in, it will always evict peace, hope, and joy. When bitterness moves in, peace, hope, and joy move out. 
And after all that had happened with Absalom, he, you know, he left his, he left his father's, David's kingdom from fear of what the consequences were going to be for his actions, and he ended up living in another's kingdom. I want you to see some of the spiritual principles here. Absalom was filled with anger, filled with rage, filled with hatred. He left his father's kingdom, and he moved into another king's kingdom. Sound familiar? Along the way, someone named Joab comes into the picture, and he begins to push the family for reconciliation. And through that process, King David welcomes Absalom back, and King David forgives his son. But interestingly enough, Absalom received his father's forgiveness, but he didn't extend forgiveness to his father for over 40 years. How many understand that forgiveness is a two-way street? It must be given and it must be received. If we read on, and I'm going to read another piece of the passage in chapter 15, verse 1, 2 Samuel says, And in the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gates. And whenever anyone came up with a complaint to be placed before the king, his father, for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? And he would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me, and I would see that they receive it. Here's something interesting. Bitter and offended people attract complaining. Bitter and offended people attract complaining, and if they don't attract it, they will find it. Here's Absalom his dad extended forgive to, forgiveness to him. His dad was the one that provided chariots and horsemen and all this. And here he is. His dad forgives him, but he doesn't, res, he doesn't respond with forgiveness to his dad. So here we are down the road. Now what he's doing is what? He's sitting at the gate of the city waiting for people to come through with complaints. Because that's what bitterness and offense looks for is complaints. And he's waiting there. He said, well, you know, if only I was king... If only I had been the one that was really in charge of this situation, it wouldn't happen. And so he begins to operate from this place of, of an extremely unhealthy, bitter, offended heart. And so, interestingly enough, is that he's been given the, ch the chariots, the horses, and the men who represent the king's kingdom. I want you to get this. People love to paint it like it's kingdom. Offended people try so hard to make it look like it's kingdom. David, Absalom had everything that looked like his dad's kingdom. But he was working from a place of trying to tear down what had been built. 
often people that are bitter and offended, one of the things that we do is the first thing that we try to do is make it feel like it's God that we feel this way. Because if that's the case, I can blame him and not me. This, this is, I know it's challenging, but if you hang on, we'll get there. Because there's, there's so much unneeded offense. There's so much unneeded bitterness. And there's too many people that are desolate and hopeless because they just have walked in unforgiveness. And so although Absalom appeared to represent the kingdom, he stood at the city and he released offense, bitterness, and hatred among the king's people. But he had the right clothes on, and he had the chariots, and he had the horses, and he looked like kingdom, but he wasn't operating from the kingdom. You've seen some connections here. I love it when I find passages in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant that are pointing towards things that are going to come. And this is one of them. I want, to, I want you to get this. Anytime that you feel the permission in your heart to judge someone, to warn others, and to attempt to win their hearts through your side of the story, it's almost always rooted in offense. Anytime you feel the permission in your heart to judge someone, to warn others, and attempt to win their hearts through your side of the story, it's almost always rooted in offense. Because bitter roots will provide bitter fruit. And the intention behind these conversations is always this. The intentions behind these, even though they'll say, well, I just want you to know, we should be praying for this person. So let me just tell you all this stuff, but just for you to pray. But what we can really do is we're actually trying to represent that person to that person and we want them to see that person with the filter we have. So I've got, I've got Jordan here. Come here, Jordan. You stand right here. And I've got Annie over here. And, and, and Jordan has done something that's really irritated me. <laughs> I wouldn't have pulled you up if there was any truth in it. And I, I am now, I am offended. I mean... I mean, I say, bless you, <laughs> like all good Southern Christians do. Bless you, bless you. It's like I hate you, but bless you, bless you. When someone's like squeezing your shoulder, bless you. It's like, whoa, whoa, all right? So, and then I'm like, you know, Annie, I just, um, listen, I, I, know, I know that you don't have any issues with Jordan, but um, you should probably know some of the stuff I've been through with Jordan. And he's actually not as nice as you think. And, I mean, I'm really not telling this stuff, not to gossip. This is just a, this is, this is just to, this is just to, um, this is to equip and empower. 
and 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 so but I'm gonna but but now what what was little we can even blow it up big and what was like Jordan walked through the door last Sunday and walked right past me and didn't say hello and because I'm so weak in my identity I got all shaken I walk over here and say have you noticed that Jordan just has a massive spirit of arrogance Jordan was like, I just had to go to the bathroom. And I was like quickly walking through the foyer. And now I'm like, have you noticed this, this offense? But, but, I mean, he's our brother. I mean, we want to see him restored. But, but I, I, I need to make sure that you get on my side and you see him through my filter. So, so now I've been kind enough to bring you into my offense and bitterness. And instead of a church that equips and empowers, we're cutting people's legs out from underneath them and calling it prayer. Listen, guys, this is, this is hard stuff. You guys can sit down. We really do love you guys. <laughs> Listen, Absalom stood at the gate. He looked right. He looked like kingdom. He smelled like kingdom. He talked like kingdom. But he was operating from a place that was not kingdom. It was not his father's kingdom. Honor always desires to present someone the way the father sees them. You see, if I were in an honoring position, and, and first of all, I don't need to bring her into it if it didn't have anything to do with her. You've, you do not need to bring them in if it doesn't involve them. Number... We do understand that piece, right? Like, we don't, we don't publicly crucify. Anyways. Honor says, yeah, that happened and she saw it. Let's say, let's say it really was something rude happened. Honor is to be able to go over here and she says, wow, what happened there? You know what? I, he is really is just, he really is honestly filled with the love of the Lord. And, and he's just... Maybe he had a rough day or whatnot, but I can actually see in him what the Lord sees in him. Honor, honor's intention is to get someone else to see someone through how the Lord sees them. That's what honor is. Bitterness always desires to present someone through the filter of my emotions. Because you made me angry, so blah, now you're the devil in flesh but the reality was is that I was weak in my identity and now I'm blaming you for something that was really me and I need to get everybody else to join up because it's just less pressure on me because now everybody sees it in him because you planted seeds in everyone when we could plant seeds of honor or say you know yeah yeah he He's a little short with me, but, you know, honestly, I know his heart. You see, when we, when we choose to partner with an opposing spirit to the kingdom of God, we unintentionally take that area of our life and we move it into another king's kingdom. <sighs> Maybe it's Relationships. Maybe it's an area that you have allowed a lot of bitterness and offense to come in. And what's actually happened is, is in that relational piece of your life, 
you've put it over here in the kingdom of darkness. And I just can't figure out why all my relationships don't work out. Everyone is so messed up. Not me. What's wrong with all these people? I mean, everywhere I go, the grocery store, church, I'm surrounded by mean people. Could it be that this area of your life is in the wrong kingdom? And it's operating from the wrong place. You can't take it. The enemy can't come into your life and say, I'm going to take your, you know, that piece of you that's emotions, and I'm going to yank it into my kingdom. No, 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 no. You're driving the bus. You pull over. You open the door. You welcome them on. But then it becomes that you begin to have in this area of your life, you have these different oppression, depression, anger, for whatever it is. It's, it's just constantly talking. And here we are. The idea is, is there's a process of taking it from that kingdom and putting it back in the right kingdom. One of my favorite stories. Let's just flip there. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 verse 23. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began, to settle, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. I've heard many, many different ideas what that could be like today, but the most recent that I saw is that could be like a million dollars today. It's a lot of money to owe somebody. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. This is not like over a hundred bucks, guys. But when the servant went out, he... He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. <laughs> and he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. You'd think he would have been smart enough to catch on to like, you just acted this way. And then he, but he refused and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything. Stop right there. Let's make sure we're on the same page. The other servants are the servants of the master who he owed a massive amount of money to. So let's, let's look at this. Here he is. He, he owes, I don't know if a million is accurate or not, but we'll just use that number. He owes a million dollars. He's begging him, please, please. I'll take care of this. There's no way he's going to be able to take care of this. So the master has mercy on him, says, your debt is forgiven. It's canceled. He leaves there. He's skipping down the street happily. 
and he sees a guy that owes him 10 bucks. He says, you owe me money. And he grabs him and starts to choke him. Some of the servants from this master see what happens. And they say, this is nuts. We just saw him get forgiven of a million dollars. We're going to go tell our master what just happened. So then the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have the same mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. And the awkward silence goes through the room. Remember, forgiveness is a two-way street. He received forgiveness over here, but he didn't give it out over here. Now, this passage is strong. I, I, I don't believe that it would be intended to say that if you don't forgive, the Lord's going to throw you into a prison to be tortured the rest of your life. I don't believe that would be what it would implement. But I will say this. I heard Danny Silk say it this way one time. He said, when you don't extend forgiveness, as you've been told to, it's like hooking up a drip. You know, when you go to hospital, a drip of morphine or whatever. He's like, he said, it's like hooking up a drip of poison on your life. And he said, it's as if you're going around with this drip of poison hooked up to you. And that poison gets into your mind. That poison gets into your spirit. That poison even can get into your body. And this passage talks about being handed over to the tormentors. But it happened the moment that this servant decided to pull off his bus off the road and pick up these spirits. And then he goes over and says, you owe me money. Well, wait a minute, you just got forgiven of like a million bucks. And unforgiveness is there. And what happens? Drip, drip. Like it or not, when we decide not to forgive, we welcome this stuff in our life. Anyone who has done any inner healing ministry understands that the majority of it is just trying to figure out where forgiveness needs to be received or given. If I could sum it up, there's a lot to it, and it's not easy. Sometimes they're like, I'm fine. It's like, sure. <laughs> Nobody likes you, but you're fine. <laughs> and, 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 and we're saying, okay, well, let's just hear the voice of the Lord. What's the Lord saying? I don't hear anything. Say, okay, well, then I'm going to have to hear him for you. <laughs> and what happens? 
we begin to try to find out where either did you not give forgiveness or where did you not receive forgiveness. Because almost always it's going to be connected to that. Now there's a process after that. But 99% of the time it's where did you not get forgiveness or where did you not give forgiveness. But when we don't embrace the process of forgiveness, we stand at the gates <laughs> wearing our kingdom clothing. Might even be wearing a t-shirt from the gate. And we could actually be representing when we're not walking in forgiveness, even though we look like we've got all the kingdom stuff together, we could actually be operating from another kingdom. And it's hard. It's hard to hear that. It wasn't easy. I imagine it was a challenge when Jesus looked at his disciple and said, get behind me, Satan. He probably wasn't like, oh, another one of those days. <laughs> you know, those are big words coming from Jesus. You're not Satan, by the way. <laughs> there you go. But listen, the fuel, the fuel that darkness runs on is unforgiveness. It's its fuel. Remember that, that commercial that was like, I think it's Dunkin' Donuts is their tagline, like we're what America runs on is Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> which is really not true. But, um, <laughs> but nonetheless, the kingdom of darkness runs on the fuel of unforgiveness. When you forgive, it starts to run out of fuel in your life, and it can't keep going because you're taking away the fuel. I got to hurry up. I got way too many notes. Still with me? Hang in there. Let's talk about Joseph. He's a fun one. I'm going to have to recap because I don't have time to go through the whole story. But you know the story. Here's Joseph. He's a young man. He starts to have dreams about being royalty. Um, probably wasn't the best idea to how he told his brothers about it. Like, you know, Guys, you're going to bow to me just so you know. I mean, probably wasn't the wisest way of handling it. But nonetheless, he's having dreams. He's having favor. He's having this thing with royalty. And all of a sudden, the favor on him begins to disrupt everything in the household. Favor will disrupt things. Favor will make things show up in people that you never knew was there. When you can hang around people with favor and blessings that you don't have or you're believing for and you can celebrate them, that is a testimony of what God has done in your life. And here they are, they're, 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 they're a little bit frustrated with Joseph, and so what do they do? Well, we're going to get rid of him, so um, how about this? How about we just throw him in a hole? Again, you think your family's got issues. <laughs> Let's just take our brother, throw him in a hole, let him die. And so what do they do? They throw him in the hole. And so then um, they change their strategy, and they say, well, let's do this. I'll tell you what, let's sell him into slavery, because at least we can get him way far away. <laughs> it's funny if you know the end of the story. And so they sell him into slavery, and Joseph walks in such extreme favor on his life that here he goes from slavery, basically walks his way up into being the overseer of all the land. Isn't that just the story of God? Even when everybody threw you out, I can take you from slavery to royalty. Sound familiar? <laughs> Another one of those things pointing towards the new covenant. And so here he is, he goes in as a slave, he rises up, and he becomes this ruler over the land, and this, this, this plague comes, 
And his brothers are going to have to go get some grain because if they don't, they're going to starve to death and die. So where do they have to go? Come on, you know the answer. Joseph. They don't know that. They have to go and they have to get grain. (laughs) So they walk in. (laughs) Love this story. They walk in. They don't know it's him. He knows it's them, your Bible says. He recognizes his brothers. Now, can you imagine the moment that runs through, the thoughts that are running through his head? I have all authority now to demolish you. Could be a thought. I'm not saying he had that thought. That might be some of our thoughts, like, (laughs) how do you like me now? (laughs) So... They come in, and here is Joseph, and he, and he sees his brothers, and they are now at his mercy. We need grain or we die. The same guys that threw him in a hole to die, the same guys that sold him into slavery are now before him saying, we need something from you. Where am I going with this? I don't care how Please don't take this insensitive. There is no story in this room that is too bad that forgiveness can't overcome. I doubt anyone in this room has been thrown in a hole to die or sold by their family to slavery. I can't say what has happened in this room. There's probably some pretty bad things in a room this size that have happened to people. But what I'm saying is is there is a place you can come to through forgiveness where you can look at the people that did it to you and you can extend grace and mercy. And Joseph is standing there, and he's looking at his brothers. And he begins to go through this amazing process of this reconciliation. It's weird how it goes down. I don't have time to read it all. It's in Genesis, I think, 37, 32 or 37. He goes through this process. There's this piece in the passage that the Bible says that he stopped, he left the room, and he cried. He was so overwhelmed with emotions that he had to step out. He went in a room, and the Bible said he weeped. I can't tell you what he, it doesn't explain really why he weeped. I can't say for sure if it was just overwhelmed with emotions or overwhelmed by what he recognized was happening. Because he was, he was bringing them through a process of reconciliation. And they buy, and they, they buy the grain. And so they give them their animals with their pouches. And what does he do? He fills them with grain, and then he takes all the silver, and he puts it back into these pouches and doesn't tell them. And then they recognize throughout this process who he is, and they're on their way home. And... <laughs> They open up their pouches, and here's all their silver. Not only did he give them what they needed to sustain in life, he wouldn't take anything from them. For everybody that's saying, well, if they just apologize to me. Joseph said, I won't take anything from you. Why? Because I'm a powerful person. You're not. Not right now, but I am. 
I don't need anything from you because I'm powerful. I know who I am. You see, this is if we could get the church to this point where they're not saying, I'm waiting on that apology. I'm waiting on that person to make this thing right. Where they could just look at people and say, it, it does not excuse what you did. But I'm not going to be dictated by your choices because I'm going to be powerful because I am royalty. He didn't require a thing from them. He didn't have stipulations in place. Joseph understood that no one's decisions would rule him. No matter what they did, he was going to move forward. And Joseph operated in a place of tremendous forgiveness. I'm going to wrap it up. How do we get to that place of forgiveness? I believe probably one of the most powerful ways to enter into a place of forgiveness is through compassion. It's hard to have compassion when someone hurt you. But it may depend on what your definition of compassion is. Because my definition of compassion is seeing someone else how the Lord sees them. I had this I had this dream. I've had a number of dreams, and I didn't realize it actually until I was preparing today's message. And I actually I heard a testimony that brought it back to mind. There was a story of a young man who told this story. He was going through inner healing, and he hated his father. And he began to tell the stories of how his dad would tie him up the trees and beat the children with hoses. Like this was recently. He would tie the kids up and like whip them like on a post. And he just hated his dad. And this person was trying to take him through this process of healing. He said, I need you. I need you to do this. He said, I need you. We're not going to get into forgiveness unless we can somehow get compassion. He said, so here's, you're not going to get it on your own because you're filled with emotions that are hatred, anger. He said, but you have to try to tap into what the Lord sees in your dad. And he said, so here's all I want you to do. He said, I want you to pray a prayer and say, how do you, how do you see your dad? How does God see your dad? And he prayed a prayer and he said, when I saw it, he said, I saw a baby. He said, my dad turned into a baby and the baby was absolutely incapable of being able to raise children. And he said it didn't excuse his actions, but it launched him into a process of forgiveness because he began to see what the father was seeing. I have had dreams about people, a number of people, that were really causing problems. <laughs> and in the dream, every single time, they would turn into a baby. I can tell you two or three people that they would be, next thing I know, I would be like, oh, I want to lay hands on you. <laughs> just frustrated, you know? And then all of a sudden, they were baby in my arms. And the Lord began to speak to me and say that some people, listen, does not excuse actions. That's not where we're going with this. But you need to see them how the Father sees them. And sometimes he sees them through the lens of people that have no capability at this point of doing what you're expecting of them. So either you can stay tied up and offended for the rest of your life with that person, or you can do your best and say, I'm going to see them how the Father sees them, and I'm going to extend forgiveness. And when that day comes where I'm walking in my identity as royalty, and they come back, whether they've forgiven me or not, I can look at them and say, I don't need anything from you. I love you. 
but I don't need anything from you. When we believe that a person's mess is more, when we're in relationship with somebody that's created a really big mess, and we believe that that mess is more than I can handle, what we're really saying is we've taken a position that people are more powerful than God. When we believe that a person's mess is more than I can take, I have positioned myself to believe that people and their actions is more powerful than God. Not always. Circumstances don't always change just because your thinking changed. But if you keep thinking with a renewed mind, typically circumstances will catch up. I wish I could tell you we're going to pray this morning and you're going to ask for forgiveness and everything that's wrong is going to be like, yay, <laughs> it all went away. <laughs> and then you'll be, some of you will be back in three weeks like, liar. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that he can't, at the snap of a finger, change everything. But what am I, I'm trying to make a point. This stuff takes time. Especially if you've been in a toxic relationship for a long time, acting a certain way and expecting things from each other. We were singing that song this morning, that um, extravagant. Here is all my love. It's yours. No conditions. What if we actually lived that way? Do you want strong marriages? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm giving you what I believe with all my heart to be some of the best advice I could give you is that you have to be a strong person and your spouse has to be a strong person. But if you're always waiting for the other person to change to fix your marriage, you're going to be waiting for a long time. You're just getting off at every stop with that bus. Open, close. Open, close. Come on in, depression. Open, close. We had a great Sunday. Get off, depression. A week later, come back on, depression. Open, close. Open, close. Open, close. But there is a way to operate from a place that says, that I'm going to keep my love on towards you. Now, I have boundaries. You're not going to walk on me. You're not going to beat me up every day. You're not going to... You're not going to just demolish me, but I will say this. I am going to make sure I'm the most powerful, loving person I can be. And that's my responsibility in this relationship. It doesn't matter if it's a spouse, if it's a person in this room, if it's a family member. I have to be the most powerful person I can be. And then we'll deal with the rest of it. I find when people take that, it actually, things just work out. So often, not always, but so often things begin to work out. Last page. So let me give you a couple tips. If you're going through this process, don't be afraid to tell God what you're going through. Have you read the Psalms? God, why have you forsaken me? Like five, late, five verses later, then I came into the sanctuary. <laughs> Tiffany said something about this in prayer this morning. Don't be afraid to tell God how you feel. 
he's good. You're not going to scare him. He's not going to be like, whoa, <laughs> see that one coming. <laughs> Tell him. David did it. He just poured out like, this is terrible. Interesting how sometimes that's part of the process, though, is actually opening it up. And sometimes you don't even know it, but when you're venting to God, you're actually detoxing. Because some of you have carried this stuff around for so many years, and you are spiritually toxic to yourself. And the first step may just be telling God how you feel. He's good. Don't worry about him. He's a big boy. He's good. You know when your heart's fully operating from a place of forgiveness? When you can bless what you once cursed. I always tell people, people are like, well, I think they're with me. Ask them to pray blessing over you. Well, uh, um, all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, they're not. Joseph got to the point where he could bless the people that tried to kill him. Compassion is believing what God says about another person. I'm just going to recap it. The question is this. Um, I wish that, I know, gosh, it feels so heavy. I know it's heavy, but we got to go there. We got to go there. Got to go. Let me finish, and I'll give you some hope. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the question is this. Are you willing to, and people will say, but it's so painful to go through this, right? But it's so painful. Well, you're already in pain. The question is, is that pain always has a purpose. Is the purpose of the pain to heal you or to destroy you? You see, I can go through pain that's healing. But I can't live in pain that's just trying to destroy me. And when I invite you into this process of forgiveness and dealing with these things, sometimes it's like, oh, that's so hard. That's going to hurt. You're already hurting. But sometimes it hurts to go through the process of healing, but then it's over. Thank you. It's like, thank you, Jesus. The word the Lord gave me was a couple things to why I preach this. One, I felt, he said, John, we're going to begin to take the entire house through mass reconciliation. Like relationships to each other, spouses, everything. There's going to be a mass restoration. I don't say this often, and I'm sure I'll get some weird comments from saying this on streaming. But we get those anyway, so... Um, <laughs> I believe that the Lord sends angels with assignments. I believe with all my heart in angels, and I believe that they're here right now. I believe that some of them are carrying things, and some of them are watching you to learn things, according to Ephesians 2, I think. One of the things that many people don't know is that we have two angels that stay with us as a part of this ministry. And we know their names. We've been told their names by many prophetic people that have come through this house that have never talked to each other. And they all send me the same notes and texts and emails and say, you have two angels that are always there. And the names are this. It's restoration and redemption. 
That's their names. So, good news is, is if you're here, you're, if you hang around, you're going to be restored. <laughs> you just got to hang around. They're here. They're not here just to hang out for no reason. They're here with an assignment. They've been here, and they've never left. They're always here. Because there's a grace on this house to see people redeemed and restored. Or maybe easier said, restored and redeemed. And I believe that there's something on this house that takes people that are broken and hurt and people that are going to watch this on this online deal and they're going to watch this that are burnt crispy. They're hurt and they think that I don't want anyone else to touch me because I'm so burnt and crispy I'll just snap in half like a piece of burnt bacon. That's how some people come in, man. They're like crispy bacon, which is so good. Let me just say... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Y'all like that squishy bacon got problems, man. We got to pray for you. But back on point. It's like the war of bacon. Everybody likes their bacon different. Bring it back. It's true. God has a very clear assignment on this house, and it's to restore and redeem. I say that because of this. One, if that's a call on the house that naturally says there's going to be a lot of people that need it. Now, you could, you could say, well, look at the fruit of that place. Look at all these people that are messed up. You could say that about Jesus' ministry, too, because his 12th that he hung out were all messed up, too. And if you'd start trying to misinterpret those scriptures and say that was his fruit, bring it back around... If our, if our purpose is to redeem and restore, then there's going to be people that are hurt and messed up. And that's not a bad thing. But we need to get them healthy. And to do that, we've got to forgive. We have to embrace forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. And the second thing is, Are you willing to pay the price to stand with people that no one else wants to stand with? It's all roses until you get that one person that no one else likes. God sticks them right in your life. (laughs) You're like, really? Are we willing to stand with people? If you are, let's stand up. I apologize for going so long. I knew it was going to take me. I warned you. You could have left. (laughs) I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. So here's how it's going to work. There's going to be a lot of things that flow through your heart, that flow through your mind, people and situations that are going to come up that some of them look really challenging, they look really nasty, they, they, whatever it might be, but let's, let's focus on, let's focus on forgiveness. But before that, let's focus on compassion. And here's what I'm going to ask of you, I'm going to ask, and this is, um, you got to get outside your head and you got to get your Holy Spirit going for this one, because you're going to need the Spirit of God to let you see through his eyes. So I want you to think about the person where 
there is the most needed restoration, whatever situation that might be. And I want you to ask the Father, say, will you please let me see them how you see them? Will you please let me see them how you see them? And if you're not seeing anything, just pray that the Lord would help you take down any walls that are between you and him right now. Because sometimes that we've erected all these big walls. And right now, you need to connect with him. You need to connect your spirit with his spirit. Even You can even just proclaim that right now. Father, I'm connecting my spirit with your spirit. Thanks, Jesus. How does he see them? Some of you are going to see a baby. Some of you are going to see a crying child. I'm seeing things actually throughout the room right now in my spirit. Some of you are going to see a fearful child. How do you see him? Because this is step one. And when you see it, when you see it, say, Father, I need you to give me the compassion that you have towards that person. It's beyond your emotions, guys. It's hard when you're angry or frustrated or hurt or bitter. You got you to gotta press in through that. I don't have time to do a group full sozo. There's a lot of things we could go through, but we got to just take a few steps. Lord, show me what you see and give me your heart towards that person. Show me what you see and give me your heart. I know it can hurt. Some of this stuff can hurt. Now, I want you to extend forgiveness towards that person. Say, well, they haven't asked for it. That's okay. This is for you right now. It's forgiveness. Reconciliation is a two-sided street, but right now you're going to forgive them. So, Lord, I forgive that person. I forgive them. I see them how you see them. I see that, Lord, it doesn't excuse their actions, but I forgive them. Because I want to be powerful. I want to be whole. I want to be able to be like Joseph and stare at those who have hurt me the most and say, I am still a powerful person, and I'm going to bless you. So I forgive this person. I forgive this person. Now, all of the things that I've picked up on the ride, anger, depression, frustration, hopelessness, fatigue, you name it. Every bus stop I've stopped at, I'm saying it's time to get off because perfect love casts out all fear. So get off. You speak to it because you pulled over and let it on. So you say, get off. Get off. 
This is about you right now. This is about you. All right. Now, we're going to pull up to the next bus stop, which is the kingdom stop. And you got an empty bus now. And you need to welcome on hope, peace, joy, obviously love, courage, endurance. Right now, just say, I welcome you in. I welcome you in. I welcome you in. Even though maybe your circumstances have yet to change. I am going to walk in love. I welcome you in. Okay. Now change gears a little bit. This is not about you. This is now about a person that's in your life that there's some things that need to be dealt with. Let's kind of shift back to that a minute. I really want to end here. Lord, give me all of the grace that I need. He will give it to you. Give me all the grace I need to see this person restored and reconciled to you first and then to me. I release, I I feel like I, I have the ability to release this. I release a portion of grace for restoration and reconciliation. I release the Father's heart over you. I release that you have the compassion to see through his eyes. I release the love of the Lord in every situation. I release hope over you. I release joy over you. I release favor over you. In Jesus' name. It's not hopeless because he's in the middle of it. Where he is, there is always hope. It's not hopeless. Now, I take all the condemnation off of you that you've been carrying that's weighed you down. And some of you, if, if, if this is you, if you're, if you're on the side of things where you've done something and you need to deal with it, Now's the time to just, just to come before the Lord and just say, Lord, I just ask that you would change me, forgive me for the actions I've done. He may be highlighting to some of you, you're actually, you've been a part of the other side. So we just welcome that. I pray that there would be a spirit (laughs) pray that the spirit of reconciliation which is your heart would just fill every home fill every family every situation that you're facing that needs reconciliation we just release it throughout this room and we believe you for testimonies of how the goodness of God showed up in the middle of what was really dark and he showed up in Jesus' name.